Hey traders, welcome to another Performante podcast. This is episode 46 and we're going to first off start to talk about short squeezes. What are they? Uh, we're seeing one right now with GameStop along with a few others that we're going to dive into. How can you profit for them? How can you profit from them? And uh, in short, how to really utilize a short squeeze when uh, it presents itself and it is a really good opportunity. Definitely going to dive into that. We'll then go into a uh, partnership and I guess uh, a expansion in the type of cryptocurrencies you can use on a certain website, which we'll get into. We got Coinbase redoing some infrastructure to actually prevent, uh, I guess, basically uh, shutdowns on their service during peak times. And then we'll be looking at some link news and then we're going to finalize it looking at the comparison versus proof of work versus proof of stake. So thank you very much for joining us and I'm going to pass it over on to Nathan. I appreciate everyone tuning in. The day is January 24th, 2021. Time flies when you're having fun. And realistically, that has been the case for the niche community of Wall Street Bets. This is a rather... Uh, entertaining and dark place on the internet that we have alluded to in previous episodes we're definitely more observational in nature when we are talking about wall street bets because they have an appetite for risk that exceeds uh, what we appreciate and ultimately this corner of the internet has found some very interesting opportunities with short squeezes most notably, there has been GameStop just absolutely going through the roof, pumping through old supports and resistances, and uh, it's very close to setting all-time highs, actually. And what the interesting dynamic behind this market momentum is called is a short squeeze. And essentially, it's very simple in concept. There is not enough available liquidity on the market and so as a result, that greatly shifts supply-demand and the price goes up. There is a rising demand, people need to cover their shorts, they need to exit the positions, and then the speculation from the market also compounds that demand side with a relatively low supply. And ultimately, the result is the price of the asset goes through the goddamn roof. Yeah, and these are the parabolic moves that we're seeing, and we see this from time time and time again, looking back at history, Volkswagen was a pretty monumental one back in kind of October, November of 2008. A ton of people were short Volkswagen, and when the price started to move up, a lot of people needed to get out of the position because in a short, there is theoretically an unlimited amount of money that you could lose because as the stock continues to go up, you have to buy it back to pay back your broker and uh, cover the position altogether and a stock or whatever asset can theoretically go to zero but it can't really have a roof or a ceiling it can go up for as long as people are willing to buy it at those prices so at the end of the day they do they do have to close their close their positions so if you look at a stock like tesla there was a short squeeze but that momentum kept on moving moving the price to the upside and if there are any short sellers within Tesla at this point, think of how much money that they're losing. Um, even if they're leveraged, man, that's a monumental loss. So this is what we're seeing with GameStop and the people that are able to make money off this is seeing that opportunity, understanding that the percentage 
of people that are short within that stock is a very high amount that presents a opportunity where there could be a short squeeze because if the momentum starts moving to the upside they're going to be losing money because they have to purchase that stock back to return it to their broker right to, to cover their position so if that momentum starts kicking it could create parabolic moves and that's what we're seeing with GameStop right now and Wall Street bets is somewhat market manipulation to some degree but more more than I think market manipulation it's just seeing an opportunity and um, it is definitely public information like you have to disclose that so um, in my opinion it's more of like a fundamental strategy than market manipulation but pretty interesting to see the people over at GameStop are probably uh, loving it because the fundamentals of the company really haven't changed at all it's not like there's a um, massive shift in the actual corporation um, to some degree it's just in the background there's people that that need to get out of the position and uh they're willing to buy it at these crazy high prices because they don't know how high that it could go yeah 100 and there's absolutely crazy screenshots and pnls being posted from this subreddit there is one individual who put seven hundred and eighty five thousand dollars into gamestop uh between shares and out of the money calls and with that 785k, he turned it into a cool 11.2 million dollars, which is absolutely absurd. You can't really get any kind of conceptualization of that kind of PNL unless you're accepting just massive amounts of financial risk. But with this kind of pseudo conglomerate market manipulation approach that is being taken it's a weird diffusion of responsibility. There's never one person in charge, never one person calling the shots, telling everyone what to do. Everyone who engages in this community engages in these call options or just buying the stock straight up is playing the same game of we recognize there's too much short and we're going to try and capitalize off of that. And what's interesting is kind of GameStop was leading the way of this short squeeze, but Wall Street Bets has piqued their interest into a couple other companies. Just by cruising the feed for a little bit, you can see that they are very interested in American media company, AMC, Palantir Technologies, as well as BlackBerry as candidate companies that have a very large outstanding float percentage that is short. And again, because principally that is the key identifying factor when looking for a short squeeze is you have to see a natural constriction in the supply through a large float that is short, and there has to be limited available for buying. Ultimately, those are the two main factors that really cause the price of the asset to moon and the infamous short squeeze to take place. Yeah, well explained. It's uh, a opportunity for many, but there also are funds that primarily short, and that's their main strategy and focus. So uh, at this point in time, when there's tons of stimulus, the US dollar is falling, there's lots of big moves and tons of opportunity long to the upside. Um, speculation is through the roof, super risk on sentiment. I think this is an environment where short sellers could be a little bit worried, hesitant, and uh, might be less confident than times where there's more fear in the market. So definitely a time where opportunities are abundant if you are looking for longs, uh, not just cryptocurrencies, but also many other sectors. So I think this is a time to definitely look more longs and short uh, than just in our opinion. But at the end of the day, 
there definitely are opportunities. So hopefully you guys are on the right side of uh, these massive volatile moves. <laughs> so uh, moving on to the next part of the uh, podcast here, we're going to be talking about how Pornhub adds XRP, BNB, USDC, and Doge to its payment options. So uh, it's going to expand the option to use these different altcoins to uh, subscribe to their services. So one thing I actually did note, why are they including Doge? T to me, it doesn't make sense. It's literally a meme coin, yet we are seeing you know, the, the small list includes something that really hasn't been worked on and isn't really presented to be a project that will provide lucrative returns in the future. It's just an asset that somehow is still relevant and is talked about. Um, I think maybe because Elon Musk brings it up so much and at this point it's just so uh, integrated within the crypto community, but I think from a fundamental standpoint, I just find it crazy that out of every single altcoin, they're incorporating Dodge. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Pornhub's got all the options in the world. If you do want to pay that $9.99 for a 30-day subscription, you can do Binance, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Monero, Tron, Tether, Ripple, NEM, USDC, Verge, Wave, Zcash, Ethereum Classic, and you know what? They just had to add Dogecoin in the mix, which is an interesting step. Just because Pornhub did have their ability to process transaction with Visa and MasterCard taken away. And I guess this is realistically their only solution to facilitate that business to consumer transaction for the service they're providing. Because no payment provider wants to do business with them at this current moment. So I guess maybe they're deep in reach reaching deep into their bag to accept some uh, lesser known shit coins, let's call them. Yeah, the ease of friction is, is, I guess, something that they're trying to uh, limit and trying to allow people to pay in whatever form that they possibly can. Because, yeah, Visa and MasterCard, what is it? was it Visa, MasterCard, and another platform, uh, was it PayPal as well, basically, that they can't accept, which is a huge provider for global payments. So they're definitely completely in the crypto space, and uh, I think... They didn't really have an option, so it's good to see that they are utilizing blockchain and trying to expand the options that people have for uh, paying for their Pornhub subscription. <laughs> Moving on to the next part of the podcast, we're going to be talking about Coinbase redoing their infrastructure to prevent outages during peak times. And we saw that Coinbase uh, did have a lot of issues relating to outages during peak times, and they've been called out on it on Twitter many times. It's great to see. I'm sure they've been upgrading their infrastructure and trying to invest within um, the company really from day one. But uh, the fact that they're claiming that they are really making leaps and bounds to try to make it a more efficient company that allows them to be more uh, consistent with the service they're providing, especially during very important times when volatility is high, when there's high relative volume, that's when you may need to make your decisions. And if the service you are using is unable to work during these key times, it, it can present very difficult situations for investors. So I think it is positive and uh, hopefully we do see some actual changes come out of uh, this uh, news. Yeah, 100%. I feel like Coinbase never fails to disappoint anytime there's volatility, because anytime there's volatility, there's usually high volume. 
And I guess their servers that probably haven't been updated since like 2014 are just unable to keep up with the massive amount of requests that they must be inevitably seeing. Because I think within the realm of how crypto exchanges are perceived, Coinbase is really the first one you see when you type Bitcoin into the App Store. I don't know if that's actually true, but I know that Coinbase is definitely one of the more iconic, really retail investor friendly platform. And what really sucks is ultimately their fees are high, their service is poor, and this company wants to go public. So ultimately, if they are still wanting to make that transition towards going public, I can only imagine they probably have to make some pretty significant changes in terms of how they operate and conduct their own service, because you can't really have that level of consumer disappointment from companies that are looking to go public. I mean, I guess you can, but maybe it's not best practice or in Brian Armstrong's best interest to continue going down the public route if they can't even offer a service that is reliable during the times of high volatility, which within the context of how crypto operates is probably the most important time and when you actually need to be able to access, manipulate, and trade your funds. Yeah, totally. I think word of mouth, just people getting burned by not being able to access their accounts during those key moments. Um, I think they do have to definitely make some changes within their infrastructure. So hopefully this is going to uh, make a positive impact. And like you said, yeah, it, it can only last forever. And they have built that reputation, which is great, but uh, it is slowly getting tainted with the lack of consistency and the ability to have their services during the times when people need it most. So, Hopefully that is the case. Um, definitely the most prevalent or one of the most prevalent exchanges in the United States for sure. Um, I would definitely say that if you are looking online, Coinbase is highly regarded as a very stable exchange, but high fees and not great service. So we'll see where it goes. Hopefully they do make some changes. Um, and it's kind of really the one of the few options that United States citizens do have because they don't have the option to trade on Binance or a lot of the uh, like Bybit, BitMEX, a lot of these other uh, leveraged exchanges. But, um, you know, if you do use a VPN, you can, but we obviously cannot really condone that. So Coinbase, Coinbase um, Pro, I believe, is some of the options that the U.S. citizens do have when trading cryptocurrencies. So it would be nice to see that just benefit uh U.S. citizens, because having a shitty exchange is not very fun. No, 100. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. You got it. Okay, sounds good. All right, moving on to the next thing. Going to be talking more on Link. More than 80% of Link is controlled by 125 wallets. Um, and this was some research from Glassnode, which is a highly regarded uh, researching firm. Uh, they also have a, a lot of funds to create exposure for institutional investors. And they, ca they came out with research that indicated that the top 1% of Chainlink holders control nearly 81% of the tokens supply, which is unbelievable. Uh, let's just look a little bit into this. They said that they're at record levels of centralization. So kind of the opposite of what Satoshi Nakamoto and the whole cryptocurrency uh, economy and, and overall community love that decentralization, which is what we're seeing with BTC with mining operations popping up in like the uh, 
Central kind of Americas and like even like Iran, Iraq, Venezuela are definitely in Turkey are definitely implementing mining. But uh, we do see that link is very centralized. 81% was it 81? Uh, yeah, 81% is owned by only 1%. Yeah, 100%. I feel like it's definitely not a very good statistic you want to see because ultimately link price has pumped and the data suggests that these link addresses are still accumulating all the way basically since 2019. So I can only imagine what these long-term whales are boasting in terms of PL because that is so much liquidity of like the so much, I guess, such a proportional large amount of link controlled in a small amount of addresses that it kind of makes you question proportionally of what effect would that have on how link is valued in terms of supply and demand mm -hmm. if and when these massive link addresses start to maybe take profit or maybe reallocate rebalance their crypto portfolio because i mean i guess they probably have a lot of money in other crypto but that is a massive amount of value stuffed in the hands of a small amount of players. So interesting to see those statistics concerning centralization. I guess maybe it's just uh, uh, an extenuation of the rich get richer, right? Capitalism, but make it crypto. <laughs> yeah, well said. Um, I think just it also kind of ties into the fact that we also saw Link almost go down to zero at one point on Binance. And that could just be one of the whales uh, selling a decent chunk of their position. Like we don't exactly know, but Link has really only been the asset or Link has been the only asset, uh, maybe Matic or Matic, Matic, I don't exactly know how that is said, but maybe that one, but mainly Link has been the only one that's had massive plunges to, to almost zero and that could be because a massive whale wanted to sell had to reposition their capital or just wanted to take some profit and that market sell order absolutely dumped the market and some people were able to snag link at like less than five cents and look where it is now so someone made an unbelievable trade but that huge volatility could come because there is such a small group of people controlling such a large portion of the float for Chainlink. So just some speculation. I don't know if it's true, but I think um, that centralization and the volatility does make sense because you, if you have such a large portion of the um, pool of Link, it's going to really, really affect the market when you do uh, sell or buy in such large quantities. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say, it's, it'll be interesting to see how also those funds move around in the next 12 months or so, just as Link inevitably reaches new highs and the rest of the market matures. It'll be interesting to see how those wallets, if they continue accumulating or if they begin to decumulate, let's say. And so for our last story of this podcast episode, we were just talking about how realistically proof of work is not the most power efficient system for cryptocurrencies to operate on because we've seen real use cases of proof of stake like for example ethereum's transition towards a proof of stake protocol basically greatly reduce the amount of computational resources and by extrapolation energy that has to be used to sustain the network but we have uh 
the unfortunate circumstance of Bitcoin being the energy intensive proof of work without really the means or the ability to transition it towards a proof of stake. And uh, there's research done posted on nature.com that was published recently that basically showed if Bitcoin maintains its current trajectory, its rate of growth, and ultimately as the difficulty required to mine a Bitcoin levels out, that it could be one of the major factors to push global warming above two degrees Celsius. And that two degrees Celsius is a magic number that climate scientists from all over the world, as well as the Paris Agreement, have come across as like, this is the, the concrete line, we can't go past it, irreversible damage afterwards. And this paper basically showed that assuming Bitcoin continues its trajectory of adoption, that it could be one of the major contributing factors to metaphorically put the nail in the coffin of uh, global warming. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a little bit depressing because <laughs> it's like a bit bittersweet situation because at the end of the day, the earth is uh, dying if that is the case, but Bitcoin will be mooning. So <laughs> it's a definitely bittersweet moment, but we do see... Com uh, projects try to switch to a proof of stake system most notably ethereum so it is good to see these companies try to make that switch into a more eco-friendly way to secure a network but uh, i don't think btc will ever really make that transition because there's no real person making the decisions it is what it is it's a robust system it's not going to be the most technical and it's not going to be the most in innovative and cutting edge but it, uh, its ability to store value and, and hold wealth through a long duration of time is unmatched. So I think it will just remain a proof of work system for its entire existence. And hopefully we will be able to decrease the amount of emissions in other parts of humanity in order to offset the increase in emissions in mining BTC. So I think it's a, that's a good way to end off the podcast. I will uh, pass it over on to Nathan. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode. This is episode 46. And Nathan, I'll uh, pass it over on to you. I appreciate the time you've taken to listen to our banters. Whatever you may be doing on planet Earth, if it is long in GameStop, if it is short in GameStop, if it is buying Dogecoin, we wish you the very best and take care, everyone.